Hi, this is 13th Monkey from the Tartary Discord. I really enjoy listening to Baked and Awake's podcast. Hello dear people in Seattle. I'm from Germany and I have created this video to warn you of a possible fake attack on November the 3rd, 2019 in Seattle. I do not say that because I'm crazy or because I believe in a prophet. I say so because there are many patterns that suggest that a fake attack on Seattle is planned on November the 3rd, 2019. Due to countless patterns that have been shown to us, coded over the years in the media, I want to show you these patterns and decode them. To make you understand how fake attacks work, let's take a brief and very superficial look at the alleged terrorist attacks on 9-11. Many do not know that a total of three buildings were blown up on 9-11. The red mark is the Fort Trade Center 7. It has 47 floors. The Twin Towers collapsed at around 10 a.m. At 5.25 p.m. the World Trade Center 7 Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Baked and Awake podcast. I'm your host Steve. Today is Thursday, November 14th. 2019, and this is the 88th edition of the show. What you just heard a moment ago was the introduction to a video by a Belgian YouTuber named Koken Mit Willy, uh, which I believe is cooking with Willy in German. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, everyone regarding a possible false flag terrorist attack that was predicted to have been scheduled to occur on the 3rd of November of this year. Although I haven't podcasted about it, I did mirror this warning video on my YouTube channel as I came across it on YouTube in the first place. Partially as a precautionary measure, partially as a experiment, partially as an opportunity for myself and for my tiny audience to take the video itself with a grain of salt, a big one, as we always should with dire warnings such as these, but to also take it as an opportunity to assess for ourselves how our basic emergency preparedness status looks at home. I'm coming at you from the Pacific Northwest. In this part of the world we have several sort of continuous looming if not threats, concerns, a pattern of earthquakes in our part of the world, uh, active volcanoes, some notable and historic, such as Mount St. Helens. We have flooding. We have seasonal wildfires, sometimes to an extent that's, you know, it, it's not California wildfire kind of uh, acreage, but it's not not significant either. It's We have huge tracts of our state that are vulnerable to such things and indeed do catch fire. So, understandably, over on YouTube, attracted a few visitors to the page to listen to the warnings that were largely couched in sort of Simpsons-esque pop culture, television, advertising, film, uh, movie predictive programming, decoding type stuff. Okay, definitely kooky conspiracy theorists shit and again worth being very skeptical of especially when talking about you know potential terrorist attack and having an appropriate response to such a thing so 
I kept it out of the podcast ahead of time. For obviously, for the reasons stated right there. It's not my stock in trade to fearmonger here on the show, nor is it what I want to do is to be a simple parrot for every kook who comes along and predicts something terrible is going to happen. I did find the video and a couple of related videos that this gentleman has been posting about this topic. And when you go and see, you know, the links will be provided in the show notes and the always complete show notes for the show here for Baked and Awake. I'm going to point you at Mitt Willie's YouTube channel. I'm going to point you at his own show notes where he references another German researcher named Xavier. Problem with that one is um, just like many of Mitt Willie's videos, they're in German only. So, and without captions or subtitles available for them. So, I chose Mitt Willie as the uh, primary source here rather than referring back to his own stated primary source, Xavier, because most of us are English speakers, I, I assume, that are listening to this podcast and may find it challenging to consume the German oriented content on both their channels. By all means, any of you who may be in earshot of this recording and who are German speakers, I welcome your take on both of these gentlemen's entire channels and specifically, though, on their work in this area on predicting this event. Mitt Willie has come out and had a follow-up video since the 3rd of November expressing his happiness at his seeming incorrectness about this event. As we all know, November 3rd has come and gone. Specifics of the warnings included sort of uh, warnings surrounding a football game that was scheduled to take place uh, at our CenturyLink field with the Seattle Seahawks on on that Sunday. Um, I think there was a couple other potential targets like the Space Needle, naturally, right? It's always going to be on the list when you're threatening the city of Seattle. Uh, so the Space Needle didn't, you know, break free from its foundations and launch itself into the sky, nor did it get knocked over by a landing spacecraft uh, or a hologram of one from Project Bluebeam. Everyone attended the game and had a good time. No real incident seemed to have taken place in Seattle. Willie's wrong. The prediction was potentially wrong, incomplete, misinterpreted, you know, a case of finding patterns where you wish to find patterns. I don't know. I didn't need to spend that much time vetting the story to ask myself, what does it mean to me? As I said, I used it as an opportunity to reflect on the whole picture here in the Pacific Northwest. Scary false flags aside, we have regular old natural disasters, any of which could cause power outages, any of which could cause interruptions of service, of shipping of fresh food to our grocery stores, of any number of uh, scenarios that don't seem that bad for the first day or two or even three for most folks. But if for any reason a power outage, for example, continues for more than, you know, two or three days, the average family is looking at most of their fresh and best go-to food in an emergency, having probably being confronted with the probability that it is going bad or has gone bad in a matter of, again, the first three or four days. This time of year, November in the Pacific Northwest, you might have a little bit longer if you have, you know, an outside fridge or ice chest or cooler and keep it in the dark out there. Throw a couple ice bags in with things on day one if you were able to get out to the grocery store. Get some ice in a pinch. But most of us don't have a lot of food for much beyond that. Now, we're lucky. We've 
both been gifted and inherited some survival and backcountry and uh, long preserving foods over the last few years. We've, my wife and I have picked up, you know, a little bit of that same kind of uh, long storage provisions mindset and uh, food squirreling habits over the last few years without being super aware right now or pulling estimates out of my backside as to how long we really think we could go because I haven't really done the raw calculations of like calories per person you would need in the house to stay healthy long term without bringing in new food uh, and how long what our stores would last but suffice to say our pantry's pretty stocked our larder is pretty stocked we do have that outside fridge and an outside freezer to back up that fridge you know both of which we try to keep pretty stocked with staples that we can go to for at least a couple of weeks at a time minimum it would be nice to think that we could go a little longer and I do think we could go longer with you know some complaining and misery on the case of uh, the kids in particular in terms of what they would probably be starting to be offered uh, just a few days into such rationing but I feel like we've got some food on hand for a while this is what I chose to do with Mitt Willie's warning was to take a look at what we as a family could look around us and lay hands on that we knew was going to be useful for us in an extended and we took it primarily as an extended power outage scenario without any like violent you know horrible catastrophic act um, maybe a windstorm takes down a power line or many power lines in the area causing a, a longer term outage than planned it's not an uncommon scenario here in the northwest heavy snows in certain parts of the country will do that as well, taking down power lines. And we are at risk of that occasionally here as well, although less so than many other parts of the country. So what did we do? We bought a little extra firewood in the uh, days leading up to this prediction. We have a wood-burning stove. I still need, in November <laughs> right now, to get on Craigslist and get out there and secure like a half cord or something for our for our wood stove for the winter that we only use as a supplemental heat to our normal natural gas furnace right now but in a power down circumstance in which we've certainly had a few power outages over the years in our home uh, since we've been here a little over 10 years now uh, this the fireplace is the first thing we fire up in those circumstances uh, it's the best morale in the world to light a couple of candles and throw a log in the fire and get that started. Uh, the living room is always wonderful in those circumstances, and in the few cases where it's lasted a couple, three days, uh, the fireplace is what gets you through uh, massively in, in those circumstances. Obviously, uh, another thing that uh, we stocked up on a little bit more than usual was water. And, you know, I also think about uh, additional ways for accessing clean water ongoing over and above what you've laid up and, and stored away. And in this case, I only bought, you know, an extra five or six gallons of jugs of water. We have a couple of cases of bottled water kicking around at any given time in the garage that we throw in, in you know, into the cars as we go out on family picnics and missions anyway, uh, just because those are super convenient, frankly, you know, and we're still in that, you know, consumer mindset a lot of times not that we don't also reuse tons of water bottles that we have in our home which we absolutely do but there's a lot of times where it's really great when I'm going out mountain biking when I'm going out motoring with my friends when I'm jumping on the Grom and going out for uh, you know a mid-afternoon ride in town I grab one or two you know bottles of Arrowhead or something out of the garage on my way out with the bike and throw it in the top case and off I go and I don't have to worry about you know, some Nalgene or something that I'm going to lose somewhere out on the on the roadside and then be sad that I lost my favorite water bottle that I've stickered up and had for, you know, years or whatever. And you can also obviously give them away to people, right? Oh, you're thirsty? Here, I got an extra water bottle. Take it. No, you keep it. You know, that kind of thing. So, that you know, that's why we have a lot of those kind of supplies around. 
we did take it one step further. We talked it over, my wife and I, and I said, well, let's say let's say we we think that Seattle's just a little bit, you know, sketchy that day. We don't like it. We we let's pretend we believe this guy's prediction the slightest bit. Shouldn't we just go on a family mission that day? Take a take a drive, take a trip. Uh, and so what we did was uh, we went out the day before. Uh, we took care of, you know, all our usual household pets and our backyard animals and our chickens and quails and bunnies and, and squared everybody away. Put out extra food and water for the dogs who are completely self-sufficient with their dog door with access to the backyard and, and back into their food. And we went away for one night, overnight. We drove south. We visited a awesome destination resort that we've uh, known about for years but never gone to. It's called the Great Wolf Lodge, about 50 miles south of Seattle. Well clear of the sketchy zone, right, for the predictions for the day that went along with Mitt Willie's warnings. And uh, found ourselves having a delightful time as a family. Uh, sure, we spent a couple bucks, you know, spent a couple hundred bucks overnight at least at a place like that and uh you know bought a couple of activity packages for the kids great wolf lodge by the way for anybody who doesn't know about it and you are living in western washington pretty fun destination to bring the kids to you guys it's got a giant water park it's got a uh, bunch of uh places to eat right inside of the place they have mini golf they have gift shops they have i mean obviously it's all designed to take all your money over the course of the time that you're there and the longer you stay the longer you're going to pay but the water park was incredibly fun that was what we did most of the time that we were there um you know went the afternoon that we arrived and went again the morning the following morning uh because you still have like access to the place all day the day of your checkout so uh before we left the kids couldn't wait to get right back up jump back in their swimsuits and head down to the water park and both boys did water slides that amazed me i couldn't believe either of them uh, let alone both of them were so down for these water slides and they were champs it was awesome um they let them wear their you know life vests and stuff like that to give them extra buoyancy so you know kids aren't out there getting stressed and having a horrible time parents aren't either all these kids are floating around like corks bobbing on top of the surface going to wave pool I mean, we had a blast, okay? Um, am I going to jump up and pack the family up and go out to another, you know, theme park resort every single time I see a funny prediction on YouTube from somebody? Probably not. I hope not. I don't want to let fear run our lives to that extent at all. We tried to never take this experience in the framework or mindset of fear it was always more in a mindset of well let's inventory the the food and supplies we've got let's find our little camp stoves and cook stoves and make sure they're in the spots that they need to be we refurbed and refreshed both of our like in-car get home bags uh in the in the days prior to the event my wife and i you know, I didn't spend a lot of other money besides what we did in booking the hotel for that one night, which ended up being an amazing night of memories for our kids who absolutely loved everything about it and never knew that we were conducting a family emergency preparedness drill for, you know, in any way, shape or form, right? They just, we just had a night out as a family, the kind of thing that they always ask us to do and we never take them to do. So we tried to keep it healthy. We tried to use it as an opportunity to be grateful for each other and to come together as a family and my wife and I came together as a team and you know I think we felt very close over the entire lead up to the event and 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 also felt like if something should occur even if we totally didn't make the right moves even if we were totally still in the danger zone even if we totally were impacted by a, a terrible event whatever it might be that somehow we'd have a little bit of peace of mind anyway a little bit of calm to to call upon uh, you know because of of having spent any time preparing mentally and thinking of how to be in a stronger position a less vulnerable position should it have occurred so on that basis we you know really judged it a total success as a family definitely took a you know some negative comments both 
over uh, on Mitt Willie's page where I was thanking him for his warning and work and encouraging him not to stop looking for his patterns or for warning people in a heartfelt way about dangers that he felt might exist. Definitely got a few skeptical comments on my own page on the mirrored videos. Totally get it. Understandable. I don't know that I would have felt okay, however, having stumbled across the videos by chance as I did, watched and listened to them as I did, and, and just feeling like, well, wow, I always have found the you know, Simpsons and other predictive programming around 9-11 specifically to always be weirdly compelling. Never been able to dismiss it outright as like, oh, it's all utter bullshit. There's so much of it, you guys. I don't have to get into it here. We've been down this road. If you're listening to Baked and Awake 88, you you done been down the 9-11 rabbit hole yourself by now. So... You know, was it rich, fertile ground for, you know, drumming up new conspiracies? Probably always was. But I don't feel bad about having shared the video. I mirrored two videos from Mitt Willie there. I don't feel bad about having gone and commented my thanks to him over on his page either. And although he'll probably never hear this podcast, I'm obviously thanking him again now for his work. And I'll leave it up to you what your thoughts are about the videos if anybody's interested in going back and looking at them at this point, which I'm well aware I'm podcasting about an emergency that didn't happen, a prediction of one that already didn't happen in the past right now. But that's all on purpose because, again, we're not about scaring everybody here. Yes, I decided to mirror those videos because Mitt Willie invites you to mirror and amplify the message in his own videos and says, share, please, let's not not warn people of something that looks hinky to him. So, this is all said to you today to say this. Please look at your own personal preparedness level please look around yourself and ask yourself and especially if you're a person with a family like me ask your spouse what are we doing are we doing enough do we do we have what we need do we do we have resources and even like the loosest of plans in place for where we go if the volcano blows for what do we do when the power goes out? For what do we do if there's a, like flash flood in the area? Depending on where you live, that's a real thing. This country that I get more Google alerts about flooding because of a Google alert I set up about mud flood specifically, uh, which of course I never get like juicy. Oh, the mud flood theory is gaining traction in mainstream thought. <laughs> you know, not even close. Uh, but what I do get is daily reports of flooding everywhere, all around the world, all around North America, constantly. Probably get two to three flood emails a day now from Google. A slow day is usually one. Hardly go a day without seeing one. So floods. Wherever you live, what what are the risks? What, you could live in middle America, and there's a huge cold snap going on right now, and we're just lucky it's November. Because that same cold snap in December or January is going to kill people. And, and does, like, almost annually anymore these days. Not necessarily a lot of people, but anybody who's vulnerable, anybody who's existing on the edge of comfort at the best of times, is really going to be struggling when anything breaks at all. However, if you have a mindset of preparedness, you might be able to mitigate the discomfort quite a bit for yourself. And without going broke and without, you know, buying tons of Alex Jones's, you know, apocalypse survival food supplies and dick pills or whatever else people are shoring up for the apocalypse. I mean, it's literally as simple as picking up a couple extra long-term edible shelf-stable food items every time you go grocery shopping. 
which is something that we've had a habit of doing in our household and in our family for years. Uh, a great and important tip that uh, somebody mentioned years ago when talking about prepping and talking about the prepping foods that you want to keep on hand. Um, if you don't eat it now, you probably won't want to eat it in a SHTF, like bad apocalyptic scenario. So try to find foods that are close to and analogs to and are already the foods that you consume all the time in your regular diet. And obviously when you're talking about shelf-stable, longer-term versions of some foods, there may be some, you know, tough choices that have to be made there and some things might start looking more appetizing than they used to after they, you know, after you get good and hungry. But um, be smart about that. Pick things that you already like and find ways of picking versions of those foods that might be more stable or ways of picking up the components that you need to iterate and, and make that food. Um, and then ask yourself, how are you going to cook that food if, say, the power was out? How are you going to wash those dishes and wash your bodies if the power goes out? These are all survival and preparedness basics that we'll continue to visit more closely in the future. Uh, I'm going to forego talking about some of the equipment that we have here in the house and have made personal choices to use uh, for today because that's not the important part. Your needs are different than mine. You live somewhere different than I do. The risks in your area for what's you're at, uh, you know, open to happening around you are going to be very different than me. You eat different food than I do. You have a different diet than I do. So this is more about the mindset and the awareness that we're all at risk of different types of things that will impact or threaten your homeostasis, right? You want to stay warm. You want to stay fed. You want to stay clean. You want to stay uninjured in an emergency SHTF shit hits the fan kind of scenario. And I think a lot of the way that you do that is by thinking about it a little bit all the time and just devoting a very little bit of your continuous ongoing resources and expenditures to bolstering the provisions that work best for you in your life at home. And then keeping them updated and keeping them rotated and going through those stores and eating the old stuff and getting rid of it because if it's old and on the verge of going weird anyway you don't want that you don't want to have to look at those provisions and delude yourself into thinking those are things you're going to want to eat later especially not if they're going to cause gastric distress the second you crack open some creepy old can that's already 10 years old right now and you don't even remember how it got in the house <laughs> was it here when we moved in i don't know maybe that's not the can to count in the inventory for the provisions right so we'll be talking more preparedness in the future here on the show. Uh, but that's my sort of after thoughts or reflections on the November 3rd warning from Koken Mitwili and Xavier. Uh, this was shared by some other YouTubers as well and but those are the ones that I cited in my show notes, and those are the folks who I'll point you at for anybody who wants to look into it further. And I mean, yeah, I hope nobody thinks too harshly of me for having taken care of the family and shared the message in the way I did, in the like limited way that I did. Like I wasn't out shouting it from the rooftops or walking up and down the block on, on my street distributing flyers to my neighbors. You know, I'm not ready to be that guy. I'm not trying to be that guy. So, and I don't think any of any of us should be, right? Um, if it was much more credible of a threat, we, I would have hoped, maybe would have started hearing about it in even more places. So, To transition from that topic to some headlines I recently came across on my always favorite online news source, 
slash dot dot org. I think we'll treat these respectively with varying levels of uh, rigor and detail. I want to just share with you some stories that this is a great example of why I like Slashdot so much. I don't see a lot of these stories in a lot of other places. Uh, they do aggregate news based on user submissions, and so you will see certain trends that you'll see in other places online where news is curated by the user base, whether that's Reddit or wherever else you're getting your news these days. Listeners of this podcast will recall that I've been off Facebook for a few months now, and looking forward to sharing with you guys when it's been a year, you know, sometime next summer uh, of being off of Facebook. Really need to come to grips with the reality of the fact that I, I want to also leave behind Instagram because it's just Facebook Lite and is, of course, owned by all the same people. But, um, you know, this is where we get our news anymore these days, right? You don't, you don't click around the news and, like, crawl from ABC News to CNN to BBC to... Huff post to whoever else you want to get the, you know, same news from as everywhere else. They're going to push it down to your Facebook feed anyway, whether you want it or not. Uh, right along with Fox News and everybody else. Likewise, your Twitter feed. Likewise, wherever you're you're going in terms of the conventional web. So, I find that some of these other sources like Slashdot feel a little bit more organic uh, than what we get elsewhere and we've mined slash dot extensively in the past for news stories that we find let's just say interesting so what do we got here first up uh, and let's puff by the way if you're not already uh, i hope you are i'm slacking on the cannabis talk for you here today uh right at least so far <laughs> uh, but I've got a little bowl of Lake of Fire from this season's uh, harvest from a good friend of mine just down the block. And uh, we're going to enjoy that together right now. So, the story we've got first up that caught my eye was posted back on the 8th of November. So, not too far back. User MS Mash posted this. Ambrosia, the young blood transfusion startup, is quietly back in business. The story's original source is medium.com. Just going to read the blurbs here on Slashdot for you, the overview on this, and you can drill through to Medium uh, from my show notes if you want to read the full story. Earlier this year, Ambrosia, the much aligned California startup selling blood transfusions from young donors, stopped offering the procedure after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued a buyer beware, warning consumers against using the service. But now, according to Ambrosia's CEO, the company is back up and running. From a report, Jesse Carmazin, the CEO and founder of Ambrosia, told One Zero in an interview that the company had resumed giving customers transfusions of plasma, the colorless liquid part of the blood, from young donors about a month ago. Our patients really want the treatment, he said. Patients are receiving plasma transfusions from donors ages 16 to 25 again. One liter transfusions cost $8,000, and two liter transfusions are $12,000. In a pitch about Ambrosia at a 2017 conference on self-enhancement, Carmazin said, quote, we're a company interested in making you young again. Plasma contains proteins that help the blood clot, and transfusions are often performed on patients to manage excessive bleeding, such as in trauma cases, and to treat clotting disorders like hemophilia. But experts say there's no basis for using plasma to slow or reverse aging or age-related diseases, like Carmazin has claimed. Critics have bashed Carmazin's transfusions as snake oil. I'll confine my personal commentary on this to the note I wrote to myself and used as my working headline that should have been written for this story, which was, but Pizzagate and Pedogate aren't real. 
I'm sure they're all totally voluntary donators, donors, donors for this company, but I'm sure. What am I sure of? I'm not sure of anything. I don't like it though. So that's coming from Medium. What else did we find in a casual perusal of catching up with the news on Slashdot the other day in, in past few days? Our good friends at NASA. This is coming from Bloomberg.com. This is also submitted by MS Mash. Okay, so maybe we'll see a trend here by the time we get done because I'm just reading the poster's name to you guys out loud to myself at the same time. I've read each of these little stories, but... NASA flew gas detectors above California. Found, quote, super emitters. I don't know. What is that? Over the course of three years, NASA flew a plane carrying gas imaging equipment above the California, above California, and made a discovery that surprised even the state's own environmental agencies. A handful of operations are responsible for the vast majority of methane emissions from a report. In a report published in Nature on Wednesday, scientists estimated that 10% of the places releasing methane, including landfills, natural gas facilities, and dairy farms, are responsible for more than half of the state's total emissions. And a fraction of the 272,000 sources surveyed, just two-tenths of 1%, account for as much as 46%. The report doesn't identify these, quote, super emitters, but notes that landfills give off more methane than any other source in the state. NASA's equipment found that a subset of these landfills were the largest emitters in California and exhibited persistent anomalous activity. The study marks the first time anyone's ever carried out a systematic survey across California of methane, a greenhouse gas that's 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide in trapping heat and contributing to global warming. I found that really interesting about this story. I didn't know methane was that much more of a part of the puzzle than CO2, which we always hear about, right? Who knew? To continue, the release of methane has been a continual challenge for California, which has some of the most aggressive goals in the nation for curbing emissions and slowing the impacts of climate change. NASA's aircraft made dozens of flights across 10,000 square miles. From 2016 through 2018, landfills accounted for 41% of the source emissions it identified. Manure management, 26%, and oil and gas operations, 26%. So methane super emitters would be, you know, how these have been identified. I found this to be an interesting story. I found it interesting that NASA was the one conducting this research. I guess it's the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. So, you know we can't confine them to operations in you know above and in orbit but interesting nasa so that's what's up with that one and in and, and in a little bit of a theme here with this next story and i'm sure these this okay we do have a different poster bo hd Still puffing here with you guys. I'm loving this stony bowl I got. Bo HD posts on November 7th. Sea levels will rise for centuries even if greenhouse gas emissions goals are met. I bet most of you are starting to see versions of this story pop on your local feeds already. I think I've seen it show up in Twitter a couple times in the last week or two as well. Maybe from the same, you know, original, I think it's a weather channel, is the original source on this, is it a report from the weather channel. Uh, 
Slashdot has some fun sort of, I guess, I think you can probably create these for yourself when you submit a story and it's accepted, but it's like, at, you know, they, they give you the poster, the date it's posted, the time it's posted, and then it's like from the this, that, or the other departments. So this one is the the good news for people who like bad news department. <laughs> uh, let's see. An anonymous reader quotes a report from the Weather Channel. Sea levels will continue to rise for the next three centuries, even if governments meet carbon emissions pledges for 2030 set in the Paris Climate Agreement, a new study indicates. Greenhouse gas emissions from 2016 to 2030 alone would cause sea levels to increase nearly 8 inches, 20 centimeters, by the year 2300. Research led by Climate Analytics and the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research showed. Those are both links to those uh, probably uh, reports. And that doesn't take into account the effects of already irreversible melting of the Antarctic ice sheet, according to a news release about the study. So Slashdot's great about including these, you know, inset links to the original sources and and throughout the submissions in most cases, as, you know, most good articles should be these days, right? Um, And again, I'll just hasten to remind you guys, show notes, okay? Each of these stories will be in the show notes for you guys, and you can go check it out from there. Back to the story here, they quote from this study, Our results show that what we do today will have a huge effect in 2300. 20 centimeters is very significant. It is basically as much sea level rise as we've observed over the entire 20th century. To cause that with only 15 years of emissions is quite staggering, said climate analytics Alexander Nowels, lead author of the study. The 8-inch increase is one-fifth of the nearly 40-inch total rise in sea levels expected by 2,300. 2,300. What are we going to call it then? We won't be around for it, you guys. Yeah, it'll be the year 2,300. That's the weed. There it is. It just got me. according to the study published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. So, yeah, sea level's going up, according to the National Academy of Sciences. More than half of the 8-inch increase can be attributed to emissions from the, top, from the world's top five polluters, China, the United States, the EU, India, and Russia. Well, that's everybody. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> uh, that's the big five. Only stringent near-term emissions reductions aimed at preventing global temperatures from rising more than the Paris Agreement goal would provide a chance of limiting long-term sea level rise to below 40 inches, the study said. Global greenhouse gas emissions, however, have not shown a sign of peaking since the adoption of the Paris Agreement, and the individual countries' pledges are inadequate to put the global community on track to meet the Paris Agreement long-term temperature goal by the end of the 21st century. Oh, a lot of word salad on that one. Uh, but obviously what they're saying is nobody's doing anything about it right now. We're not showing signs of peaking. Peak greenhouse gases would be like peak oil, right? The point at which we you know, see the worst of it and then begin to go, well, in the case of peak oil, it's viewed as a scarcity problem. And in the case of something like the Paris Agreement goal for CO2 emissions, it would be, you know, heralded as a laudable goal, right? What did I entitle this story? I think I entitled it, Still Not a Reason for You to Pollute, But Your Big SUV Isn't Really the Issue. (laughs) So, and that's probably referring to both of those last two stories more than anything else. I saw a really uh, humorous tweet uh, on the Instagram feed today, though, uh, that was from somebody who I'm not even going to bother to quote. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm just going to paraphrase it. But there was some link to a, you know, national website for climate change <clears throat> fighting, probably climate strike related or something like that. And they're like, take the pledge today and tell us 
what you pledge to do to fight climate change. And this person's response, their rather glib response, was, I pledge not to dump 147 million barrels of oil in the Gulf of Mexico. So, and I felt that. I really did uh, on a fundamental level. So, and I, I hope everybody gets that with the in the sense of, or in the spirit of levity in which it was offered. I, I, I don't know what to do, you guys. We try to keep our footprint on the lower side and walk the line to the extent we can and always look to improve our karma in that regard. Um, but we're works in progress. We all are. We think about it, though, and we talk about it, and we work on it. So... Well, that's the Slashdot headline roundup for today and rounds out what I had uh, for you guys content-wise. I want to let you know that I recently was a guest on my friend Superchronic Josh's cannabis podcast, The Talking Hedge. I'm going to leave you a link to that show here in the show notes. Uh, Josh and I had a great chat about the, some of the current uh, trends going on in the legal landscape, both here in the Pacific Northwest and in in this case in particular, we were talking a little bit more North American uh, area arena. Uh, but we had a great chat. I hope to return to the Talking Hedge again soon as a guest of Josh's. Josh does great financials and sort of uh, insiders' view of the cannabis industry landscape really prolific he's got a lot of content out there i think he's definitely a real podcast and can be got on podcast platforms but i usually watch him on youtube because he usually does a video feed and includes some visuals that go along with the content you know the subject matter so his is a great you know podcast plus it's really a youtube channel uh that works well as you know if you if you're driving and you want to consume it audio only absolutely totally works that way but i've been catching it mostly on youtube and i think that's the link i've got here for you guys for the talking hedges his youtube channel so all right and if you're still listening by now i want to thank you one more time for taking the journey with us here at baked and awake both today and over the past 88 episodes uh, i always have a great time sitting down and talking with you about all sorts of amazing and wild topics and I encourage you if you're just getting here for the first time today to go back and look through that back catalog of uh, topics that we've discussed up to now email me anytime about any of them and I'd love to dive back in on so many of those topics here in the future I've got some great stuff lined up that's all new for you though coming in the coming weeks I'm not going to get into it right now I will tell you that you've been enjoying a moody and amazing soundtrack from my friend Northwest Grabs, aka my buddy Toby Tobes from over in I think he's in the Coeur d'Alene, Idaho area these days uh, but I'm going to give you a link to Northwest Grabs Bandcamp in the show notes that'll be there along with all the usual links that you need to get in touch with me including our website www.bakedandwake.com and my email address as I just mentioned hit me anytime right there talk to us at bakedandawake.com and thanks 13th Monkey for that great greeting at the top of the show anybody who wants to send me a little hey this is me and I listen to Baked and Awake kind of radio style opening bumper like that Hit that talk to us at bakedandawake.com email address. Record it right on your phone. I'd love to use them. You guys be good. I'll be back with you again real soon. You know what to do. Smoke that indica. And do shit anyway.